0: You're listening to Burnout Made Me Do It, a podcast for Monday haters looking for change where I share tips on how to prevent and recover from burnout and interview amazing guests that come and share their stories. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Hollingdale. I'm an ex-Burner turned psychotherapist and coach and I help people feel happier and more fulfilled in their workplace. Now let's get to the good stuff. I'm here this morning with Sonora Plum who I met, what was it, Sonora, like a week ago, something like that, a couple of weeks ago? I think it was a week or two ago, yeah. We met online, we were just having a chat, and the way that Sonora speaks about her story and some of the phrasing uh, that you used in the, the conversation that we had like actually really struck me. I really liked it. And I thought I've got to get you on the podcast. So I'm so glad that we could get a little bit of time with you today. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. This is my first podcast that I've been invited to.
0: Well, I'm sure it will not be the last once people get to hear what you've been up to. So maybe let's start there, like give us a little bit of, of background on you and how you kind of know or are connected with the topic of burnout.
1: So I am in my early 20s. I went to college in manufacturing, so I took manufacturing engineering technician course, which was really interesting. Right now I'm a playfulness coach and an artist. In high school, I remember just being very concerned with being a high performer and having my self-worth kind of wrapped up in my success and my performance, and that really took a toll on me. I would consider that I've been burnt out about twice in my life. It's great now because I have a much healthier relationship with burnout and I have a much healthier life where I can prevent burnout.
0: I don't want to infer anything there but what you studied in college sounds very different to what you do now. Was that reorientation kind of part of your burnout experience and process or how did that shift come about for you?
1: I actually really did enjoy what I took in college. It's kind of like a millwright program. So there's like welding and hydraulics, pneumatics, you know, machining, really fun stuff like that. I think the reason I went into that program was because my high school manufacturing teacher was a very important mentor for me. I loved, you know, the artistic form of welding. It was so fun, but I didn't consciously realize that. The reason I loved welding was more because of the creative flow. And I loved my high school manufacturing class because that was the only space I was allowed to have creative freedom in my life at that point. And I would even go in on my lunch breaks to weld stuff for fun. It was like artistic welding. So then I get into this manufacturing program in college and it's not as creative. It's more like a factory setting, right? So you're you're learning how to fix factory machinery and how to manufacture parts, which is all fine and good, but it doesn't really have that same creativity. I suppose I loved, you know, AutoCAD as well, because that's like a creative program where you get to design different parts. So that was really fun. But yeah, now I'm doing something that's way different. And I think I just wasn't really connected to my femininity. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of divine masculine and divine feminine.
0: A little, but could you lay it out for any of the, the audience that aren't?
1: Everyone has like masculine and feminine energy within them. So the masculine is like very ordered, very productive. You're not like hard and callous, but like, you know, you're structured, you're orderly. And then the feminine is more like chaotic and creative and maybe a little bit scattered, stuff like that. But I was very much in the productivity. like I want to be productive. I want to be outwardly successful. I was very rigid and structured and controlling. but feminine energy is much more receptive. So rather than trying to control the situation, it's more like responsive to whatever's happening. That's something that I felt like really contributed to my burnout journey because I was so controlling and so hyper vigilant and, I felt the chaos and it was so overwhelming. So I was like, okay, I need to have a schedule. I need to know what I'm doing at all times. I need to be productive, you know? And it was this response where I was like, I need control in my life. So inviting more of the feminine energy into my life was like, you know what? We don't really know what's going on and that's okay. You know, it's okay to have the chaos and you're okay. It was understanding even if things are a little bit messy, you're still safe in your body. And that's what I am really excited about talking about now is just I I feel like I was a bit of a control freak back then. Maybe a little bit still now, just a little. Yeah, it's like having a better relationship with going with the flow and being receptive And I felt like I had to be, I had to harden myself up and toughen myself up to be in the world. And now I'm like, you know what? Why? Why am I trying to change my natural personality? You know, because I think the world is unsafe. That's how it felt. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to create that safety for myself and create that container and set boundaries so that I can feel safe to be divinely feminine, and to express myself in a soft, creative, you know, messy, expressive way.
0: There's so much I want to say in response to all of that. I know so many people, myself personally, and that are listening here that have had the experience of working really hard to get into a college program or working really hard to get into that first sort of career position and then figuring out that it's not quite their thing and how difficult that can be to try and like put the pieces together of like oh but I've already put in all this work and all this effort and this is where I'm already generating some success so how disturbing to us it is when we then have to like go back to the drawing board and be like okay this isn't actually what I need.
1: Definitely a shock to the system. (laughs) And it takes a
0: lot of guts right to make that switch once you recognize it. I think in my first career I recognized it and it still took me three or four years to make that
1: switch. It is scary. I don't know I guess the term is border life crisis now. I feel like I didn't wait for my midlife crisis to come. I just jumped right into it and had a quarter life crisis.
0: Well, isn't that just the overachiever in you?
1: Yeah, exactly. See, I'm just like hitting it way, way earlier than expected. I saw burnout as being such a negative part of my life for so long. And now it's sort of the reclaiming of the power of being like, no, this has changed my life. This has changed the trajectory of my life for the better. I would say I've been burnt up twice in my life and the second time was just to teach me a lesson that I didn't learn the first time. I think healing is cyclical right so if you don't learn the lesson the first time around you're gonna get another chance. It's a nice it's way to think
0: out. about it right you yeah, get another chance yeah. whereas I think about it as like oh for fuck's sake we're here again. I
1: know. Well that is a thought as well that goes through my mind <laughs> but it's just like Okay, if I had not been burnt out, and I also struggled with eczema for years, and I had like cortisol cream that I would put on to suppress my immune system, eventually that just didn't work anymore, because Mm -hmm. I was just slapping a Band-Aid on, right? So I, you know, was having these flare-ups with eczema, I was having mental health issues, and then ultimately I just got burnt out, and I couldn't function. I didn't get out of bed for, I mean, I got out of bed, but I like didn't do anything, quote, productive for a while. And I felt so ashamed about that. But there was a lot of healing that was backlogged. Anyway, if I hadn't been burnt out for that amount of time in my life, I wouldn't have addressed deeper issues that I was ignoring. It was my body saying, you have been ignoring yourself for too long and we're going on protest, and we're not going to cooperate with you until you listen to us." You know, it's the alarm bells going off, being like, you are neglecting us, you're not taking care of us, and you need to like figure your shit out before you can do anything else.
0: Right, you know, the mind-body connection I'm fascinated by, and I think the body is so smart that if we don't pay attention, those needs, those alarm bells will get louder and louder and louder in the form of these sort of physical symptoms and certainly like mental health symptoms. I work with a lot of folks who have the physical symptoms, or at least that's what starts their process of being interested in what's going on, like skin conditions, digestive conditions show up very readily when we're talking about like stress. And work and productivity vibe issues. These are all the signs. Like it's trying to tell us something, and we most of the time, or I'll, I'll speak for my my early twenties self. Most of the time, just tried to ignore it or like tried to like cover it with other things, as opposed to taking it as the indicator that I needed to kind of investigate more.
1: Well, and I find that people are so out of touch with their bodies nowadays. Like. Somatically, they just don't pay attention to those feelings unless they're physical and intense you know obviously if someone has a broken leg you're not going to be like why can't you walk what is wrong with you like, what are you doing with your life there just isn't that same recognition and validation of emotional pain so if someone is like emotionally crippled it's like what is wrong with you? Why can't you function in your life? You're not productive. You're worthless. Like, what the heck is going on? Why do we talk to ourselves like this? This is horrible. And it's just like, okay, it had to get to that stage of me being burnt out to the point where I was having all these health issues, you know, eczema, digestive issues, mental health issues, where I had been brought, you know, to my wit's end. It wasn't rock bottom, but I was not having a good time. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is because I ignored my intuition for like 20 years. I have not been listening to myself. And I think it's so powerful to just listen to your inner knowing and your intuition, because that's the first sign. That first sign that something isn't right is how you feel. But if you aren't paying attention to your body, if you're being hypervigilant, if you're like constantly overscheduling yourself, constantly busying yourself, Mm -hmm. that serves as a huge distraction from feeling those uncomfortable emotions. You know, of course you don't want to feel those emotions because they're uncomfortable. And it's like, our life isn't going right. We need to change. That's so uncomfortable. So you ignore it and ignore it and ignore it until it is more painful to stay the same than it is to change, so.
0: I think of my 20s self, there's definitely a big sort of like marker in my life, like twenty self versus, well, let's be honest, 40s self, 30s is maybe like a neutral area for me. But twenty self, the way that I had been brought up and the, the culture that I was in, I don't know that I paid attention to anything like lower than the neck. Right. I was very cognitively driven, very driven by the ideas of what I had to be and what was right and wrong and what was the way that we work. And and how do I make myself like a successful, useful, attractive human being without tapping in ever to an idea about whether that worked for me or not? You know, those first feelings, I would imagine if I had known how to attend to them would have been relatively simple, like a feeling of tiredness or a feeling of "Mm, this doesn't feel that fun. I just went, okay, well, let's have some more caffeine and then we'll have some more alcohol and then we'll just keep on rolling through until burnout like bitch slaps you so that you're knocked out for a while.
1: There is this children's book that I was just reminded of. It's called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. I'm not sure who it's by, but it is a wonderful book that illustrates, you know, there's this dragon that's the size of a cat, and he's very cute and adorable. And there's this little boy who's like, look, there's a dragon in the house. And the mom is like, there's no such thing as a dragon. And then the more she ignores it, the bigger it gets. So it turns into the size of a dog. And then it grows into the size of a horse. And she's like, there's no such thing as a dragon. There's no such thing as a dragon until it's bursting through the house because it's the size of their house. And then as soon as she's like, well, I guess there is a dragon in her house. And then it turns back into the size of a cat. Like that is a wonderful illustration. I don't know if that's what the author was getting at, but I like to think of that as burnout or any type of problem that you are ignoring for a long period of time, it starts off as something that's so tiny and then it grows into this huge monster just because it wants to be acknowledged, it wants to be seen, it wants to be validated. And that's why I'm so passionate about emotional validation is because these emotions have been neglected for so long. If you imagine that you are multiple people or your emotions are multiple people, these emotions of you know dissatisfaction with your life or just general complaints with your life you're just, of
0: your
1: them if you imagine it as if they're different like two separate people one of the people within you is literally trapping that emotion in a cage and saying you are worthless stop talking we don't like you like leave us alone you are the result of all of our problems or you're the cause yeah. of our problems like it is a very unhealthy relationship That people have with their emotions. And if you externalize that as if you're viewing it as two people, or if you do like parts work, it's like really ugly how we treat ourselves.
0: Right. We wouldn't do that to a person, like completely invalidate them, tell them to shut up and stick them in a in a box. Or if we did, we could reasonably expect that they weren't going to be very friendly to us in the future.
1: Yeah. And it's like people talk about self-sabotage. It's like okay, well, first of all, I don't think there is a such thing as self-sabotage because I think the different parts of yourself have your best interest in mind. It's just sometimes they don't see eye to eye. So the part of yourself that's like trapped in that cage, saying, this isn't right. This isn't right. You know, it's quote sabotaging the thing that you're trying to do, you know, where it's like, oh, we want the career. We want the success. We want the Whatever. But then this part of yourself is saying, no, we don't want that because you are not doing it right. You're not taking care of yourself. You are neglecting yourself. So is it really self sabotage? Or is it self saving? Yeah, exactly. So it's just so interesting to look at it from those different perspectives.
0: It really is. And you make such a great point that I think there are parts of us, and you alluded to this for yourself that we have certain urges around productivity or we have set ourselves up to view success in a certain way and that we are worthy if we work or achieve things in a certain way. And so that part of us, I think, feels natural or right sometimes. And then that other part that's trying to tell us like, whoa, 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 this isn't going right. We're like, no, idiot, that's not the goal. Like, stick to the plan. Were there elements, you think, of, like, who you were or or personality traits, ways of viewing the world that contributed to burning out for you in those kind of ways?
1: I'm not sure. Like, there's always that question of nature versus nurture, and I don't want to be crapping on my parents or anything. I guess there were probably personality traits in myself, like agreeableness and you know, I I just, I never wanted to stir the pot, Mm. but I don't know how much of that is because I'm naturally agreeable or because that's a behavior that was modeled for me, you know, by looking at my parents, how are they interacting with the world? You know, how are they interacting with the world? I would say that my mom has people pleaser traits anyway. And and it's like, you look at that and maybe she didn't take care of herself in the best way. You know, I, I saw her Skipping breakfast, being like, oh, I don't have time to eat breakfast, you know, even though it's toast, it's like you can just wake up five minutes earlier and eat your toast, just take care of yourself, you know. I find that people, when they take care of themselves, they feel like, oh, I'm taking away from someone else. Or I need to lose myself in service. Oh, I hate that. I do not like that.
0: Slippery thing though, isn't it? Because we are certainly in various cultures, but like encouraged to not focus on ourselves when it comes to those things, right? America is a very individualistic culture where we're like, okay, it's all about us and our, wants, but we're not actually encouraged to serve the deeper kind of needs we have. You are certainly not alone, and it's not disparaging your parents to say that we all essentially have things modeled for us from a very young age. Tell us about the ways that we should, and this is in air quotes, should or shouldn't kind of operate in the world. One of the things I always ask my clients is about their family's approach to work and productivity and rest and often find that what has been modeled for us or what has been shown by the family or the folks that we grew up around to be valuable is those very like tangible outcomes, financial outcomes, status outcomes. Uh, I know for me that uh, a big marker, of what I was reaching for a lot in my 20s was this idea that like property ownership. That was the marker of success in my family. So a lot of the decisions I made weren't about whether I was enjoying the work or whether this was a fit for me and what I needed. It was about what was going to get me closer to being able to like buy that first property.
1: Well, I definitely think that there's a certain amount of, you know, approval seeking, or even just if you think about when you were younger, how would you get praise from people in your life? But the way that I got praised was that I served others, mm-hmm. I swept the floor, I did the chores, that way I'd get the good job, thank you for helping me. And that was the attention that I was seeking, you know, because that's something I craved. And that's something that's healthy and normal to crave. But there was that part of me that was like, okay, if I stop performing, then the love will go away you know, I will not get that affection unless I perform and function at a certain level. And unless I give my 100%, you know, in school, and at home, and all these different extracurriculars, I was a part of. Something I wanted to mention was the last time we spoke, I loved what you said about something you do with your clients. What was it you worked on half-assing something,
0: like picking (laughs) one thing.
1: I loved that. And I sort of kind of like came to the same conclusion, but with different words where I was like, you need to get comfortable with your mediocrity. Like, you know, how does it feel in your body to be mediocre? Do you instantly just tense up and you're like, oh.
0: Like, where's my value if I'm not knocking things out of the park?
1: Yeah. And I love what you said about your clients you know, giving 50% of their energy. And it still was amazing. It still was valuable. It just wasn't burning them out.
0: (laughs) So here's what it is for anyone who hasn't heard my approach to this. Sonora and I were talking about, you know, if we are used to being the overachievers, if we're used to performing at a high level and that's sort of what's given us our value, given us our rewards before, we're very attached to that performance level. And so as partly an experiment, I'll often encourage folks that I work with to join the half-ass club, which is where you pick something that you are doing at half your effort level. And part of why we do that is to show folks that they're still productive, they're still doing things, they're still getting things done, and they're still valuable, even when they're not putting in the 120%. And then one of the sort of side effects or the the byproducts of that is I tend to see because folks who are in the category or likely vulnerable to burnout, because they tend to be working at 120%, their half-arse is still incredibly successful, which is just a sort of byproduct that we can then recognize and see, God, we're putting so much energy and effort into like Overperforming that isn't always necessary. That's not to say that our work isn't valuable or important, but it doesn't necessarily define us. Not to monologue on you, but it's making me think again, like my first career, I hadn't really recognized, but I knew or had internalized this idea that my value, I was liked and wanted because I kicked ass at the work that I did. I worked hard and I was good at it. And then as part of my burnout process, which I've mentioned in other podcasts, I decided to try and move my work to Australia, thinking like a different scene would be refreshing or something. And what actually happened is I worked for a group of people and I was so burnt out that I wasn't doing a good job. And... It was revolutionary for me because these people still cared for me, still liked me, still thought I was a valuable human, even though I was not delivering this usual level of performance. And that really changed something for me, feeling like I was worthy, even if I wasn't the rock star PR person that I had been.
1: That is huge. And I think hopefully this podcast episode is inspiring to people. If anyone's like struggling with burnout currently, there are huge opportunities for healing. I know in my own relationship, there came a point where I was burnt out once when I was single and then once during this relationship. And I just came to a point where I couldn't function. I couldn't produce. I just got out of a toxic work environment and I just couldn't function as a normal human being. And I was like this is it. It's done. We're going to break up. My relationship isn't going to survive this. No one's going to want me. I felt like my worth was how much I could produce and my job and you know all these things and I'm like I can't do it anymore. So I came to terms with that and I was like, "You know what? I'm quitting my job and whatever comes from that fine, but I just can't do this anymore." And everything was fine. And our relationship is wonderful and you know, our, you know, we have a house together and it's just like, oh my gosh. And he actually said something to me a few weeks ago where I was like, oh, I feel like I I need to be doing all of the chores. And he's like, well, I wouldn't just base your worth as a human off of the amount of chores you can do it in a day. Like what?
0: You're like, what? That's not a thing.
1: (laughs) are you like joking (laughs) right now? And it was just like, oh my gosh, how much of an unhealthy perspective have I been having towards myself where it's like, oh crap, I didn't do the dishes today. You know, that means you're worthless. Yeah. Like what? That's just such an intense thing. But I think it's like something we must do to like protect ourselves where it's like, okay, if we, if we say, you know, we're worthless and, and you have to strive to do this, you need to yourself in check
0: we're designed to be these sort of like group creatures the idea of rejection by the group or the group not finding us valuable is very very threatening to us on a you know sort of hardwired level and like you say then we end up like doing it to the nth degree where we are basing whether we are an okay person on whether we got through our things to-do list that day or not
1: one more thing to add on to that is you can see how it's kind of us keeping ourselves in check is preventing rejection from the group mm. but one thing that i struggled with a lot is the self betrayal aspect of it so just because the group isn't rejecting you it doesn't mean that you're not betraying yourself the entire time you know you want to be something other than you are right now you want to be authentic but you're like no we have to we have to do this and this and this and this You know, my relationships, I always felt resentful. I never felt actually truly connected to people because I never showed them my true self. Mm -hmm. I was always putting on a facade because I told myself subconsciously that I will not be accepted unless I put on this facade and unless I keep my shadow self hidden And my shadow self really wasn't that bad. It was just, I'm a little bit sensitive, okay? (laughs) (laughs) When we reveal it,
0: everyone's like, yeah, what? Big deal. And we're like, oh no, that was the deepest, darkest, kind of shameful part of me.
1: Yeah. And I think your environment is so important because with certain people, it's not going to be accepted. I think that's a lot of what we struggle with is in childhood, it was like proven to us that, oh, this part of me, isn't valued and it isn't accepted. And I think it's really healing to find people and to express yourself authentically and be brave in your vulnerability to expose that part of yourself because people will reject you, you know? So it is very scary. And be open to that type of rejection so that you can also be open to that type of connection, right? So people can appreciate you for your deepest, truest part of yourself. And it's easier said than done, but I think it is so, so important to be on that journey.
0: I think so, too. And this you're talking on a a much bigger scale, but it's making me think of, again, a very small part of my career, which was the desirable thing when I was working in PR was to be really good and really interested in media relations, right? Talking to the actual journalists, like that was what got you hired. That's what people really valued. And I had been very good at it for a long time until I started shifting from more of an extrovert to more of an introvert. It seemed like in my mid twenties, I remember still having to pretend that I was like really confident and excited about media relations because that's what I felt like the job required and people want mm-hmm. so on a very kind of like specific work level I feel like a lot of us are claiming or trying to be something for a role that isn't actually a fit for who we are as a person or what was a fit for us at one point in our life isn't at another point in our right. life but we for various reasons try to carry on doing it the same way when it just is building up kind of pain and and stress
1: well and humans grow and evolve and it's so funny to think that you know it's like oh we're changing tell us a
0: little bit about the work that you do now so what is a playfulness coach and what do you do with folks or how do you help folks
1: So I'm actually an artist and a playfulness coach. So with the playfulness coaching, this is something I just added into my business because I was doing art and I love doing art for the emotional expression, as well as the emotional validation of it and just representing painful or intense emotions in the world. But I was just feeling like there was something missing. Like I love having deep discussions with people. I love connecting with people. So there was that human connection where I was like, okay, this, this is really important to me. I really want to build relationships. I was also not satisfied in my (laughs) previous job. So it's like, okay, these are skills that I have. These are skills that, you know, I love to talk to people about burnout and I can't stop talking about nervous system regulation and feminine, masculine energy and health and wellness, all that stuff. I would love to coach people who are like me six years ago, highly sensitive, but they're like beating themselves up for being themselves, like being sensitive. I want to coach people to cater to their personality rather than trying to change themselves to fit their external environment. So basically playfulness playfulness coaching is just revitalizing your relationship with playfulness I find that people are stuck in patterns of people pleasing and burnout and constantly living in fight and fight or flight I think that if you start right away and say you should rest you should be playful like no one's gonna do it when I was in that space (laughs) I literally do not know how to have fun that doesn't mean anything to me like so it's being like okay let's figure out what's going on let's gain some clarity in your life. Let's figure out what is dissatisfying in in your life. Let's talk about emotional validation. And let's actually learn how to pay attention to your feelings. And it's great because I'm able to hold space for the other person. I'm able to hold that space that they wouldn't normally hold for themselves because it's very uncomfortable. I literally just came from therapy and my therapist did this for me because it's so not really you don't want to feel your feelings anyway. So you kind of like, I call it wading through the shit. <laughs> you wade through the shit and then you get to the playfulness part of it where you're able to rest without feeling guilty and play and have fun without beating yourself up. And I, I'm not saying that you will never... guilty for it like those are feelings that you just kind of get more comfortable with and you say oh I should be doing this I should be doing no okay let's reframe and you know everyone needs rest it's not that you will never feel those uncomfortable feelings it's just that you have that coaching space to you know I just think that it's really hard to change If you're in the environment where you got sick in, in the first place. So having that coaching relationship that's outside of your everyday relationships is nice to just give you that extra bit of support for when you're setting those boundaries in your life, when you're recovering from people-pleasing, when you're recovering from burnout and coming to terms with the fact that you just can't be a robot and work all the time. (laughs) there are so many uncomfortable feelings that come
0: up yeah it's very tied in with identities and that is not light stuff when we have as we've been talking about this whole time like really attached ourselves and our value and who we are to productivity and output the idea of like playfulness things that we do that they just feel good but don't have any other like output like is wild to many of us and that really is confronting all the ways that we spend our time that are about making ourselves feel worthy being able to kind of work through a process of freeing yourself from some of those structures so that you can do something completely that's just about the present moment and feeling good sounds like a wonderful gift for people
1: I mean it sounds wonderful but I find like with people who are in these states of burnout and dysregulation, it feels like it's poison. It's like, okay, let's play. Oh, Do I deserve play? Am I worthy of having an enjoyable life? Am I worthy of joy? Am I worthy of happiness? Like all these these feelings come up. And I think that's, you know, your emotional health is so funny. I don't know if you've experienced this, But I found when I got burnt out in high school, I was spinning on the hamster wheel. And in college, I was spinning on the hamster wheel. I never rested. I never had like summer Mm -hmm. off. And then as soon as I stopped, I just couldn't get back up again. And I think all of my healing was backlogged. It was like, okay, now we can finally do this. It's like system update, you know, (laughs) you've been ignoring this computer update for like 20 years. And And now it's going to take a long time. Well, I, I wanted to to ask
0: because one of the the phrases that I remember you using when we first met that I am in love with, and I'm gonna butcher it, so I want to hear it from you was in talking about how you now apply some of your lessons to the way that you are building and working in your own business life. Tell us about that because I love that., yeah,
1: I actually heard this from Eileen Zoo from Lavender. that's a business. And she says, Success at the speed of balance. So this is something that I have to say to myself a lot because you get on that hamster wheel and you're like, okay, we're going, we're going. You know, we're being successful. We're getting the praise. We're getting the validation. That's a recipe for burnout, right? You want to be successful, but you also want it to be sustainable. We
0: don't have to choose. We can be successful. We can be productive but it doesn't have to come at the cost of our well-being and our sanity and if we have for whatever reason and I think there are systems involved in encouraging this as well if we have been thinking it was an either or situation it's time for us all to start working on and recognizing the and possibilities so thank you very much for talking with us today sonora
1: yeah, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. It was so fun.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the Burnout Made Me Do It podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you want to know how much burnout is costing you, you can go to my website, www.burnoutmademedoit.com, where you'll find a free burnout calculator. Till next time, friends, remember
1: Mondays aren't the enemy, burnout is.